Amen. Aren't you glad to be able to say, I've been changed. I'm not the same person I was. Amen. I've been redeemed. Amen. What a blessing that, that is to us today to know we're part of the redeemed body of Jesus Christ, called according to his purpose. I'm so glad he's got a purpose. He's got a purpose in everything about our lives. Otherwise, he would be the author of frustration and not of peace. But he's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And we just want to find that plan for our lives and walk in that. Amen. Let's talk to the Lord today. Perhaps you have a burden upon your heart and need. And you just need to say, Lord, I, I need you to pass by my way. Would you just come to my pew today and speak to me in a special way? I need to, to hear from you. He can do it. it. May be a still small voice. It may be something that is said. The need that you have just pulls the gift of God to minister to you personally and speak to your need. But he's God. He's got a way to talk to you. He wants to reveal himself. Let him do it to you. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your blessings to us. Your grace is always sufficient. It's always, always, you're the provider. Even though, Lord, in this life we receive blow after blow, as long as we're mortal, it'll happen. Sickness will come, troubles will come. We're not exempt from them. But, Lord, we have a Savior and a healer and a deliverer. And we're looking to you today, Lord, that you'll just reveal your purpose in our lives. Lord, whatever it is, the needs that are there to speak. And Lord, I'm, I'm just as helpless as I can be. Without you, I can do nothing. But Lord, I just pray today that you would anoint me and anoint, anoint these lips to speak the word of life. Let me find that vein, that avenue of anointing. Let me not minister just by intellectual reason in, in the flesh, but by the working of the Holy Spirit. Pray for Brother Timothy way up in northern Arkansas today and Brother Jason Jackson. I pray you'll use him, Lord, as he ministers now. And ever need of your people. God, we hear these requests. Some dying with COVID, some close to be putting on ventilators. Lord, some have already died and their loved ones are, are suffering. Oh God, I'm wondering why, why, why has, why has this happened? I pray, oh God, that you'll just comfort them in the, that's the only way you can, in the manner only you can do. Father, we know we're here in the great hour and it's the last days and we're seeing fulfillment of your word, Lord. It's happening all around us. Even the things that we hear in the news and the calamities that are happening is all fulfillment of prophecy that spoke of this last day. We're walking in the vision. Lord, we're the one now with the green checkered shirt on and realizing that waking up to the reality, we're, we're in the vision. We're walking right there in the very path of God. I pray today that you'll speak now. Speak to the hearts. Speak to those, Lord, that are 
that are needed an answer from you, Lord, that their hearts are maybe today troubled, troubled in their spirit. May it be today you minister to them in a great way. There are those, Lord, that are in the valley of decisions, and this decision can cause them trouble for their lifetime. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to make the right decision. Lord, we want to be in the path of your will because it's there we're blessed. We get out of that in the permissive will and it's there we lose the blessings of God until we come back to your perfect will. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless your people now. Speak to them. Speak to us through the word. Bless it to our hearts. Heal your people and comfort and strengthen us now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen, and be in, in his presence today. And we just want to say we are welcome. We're glad to see each one of you that is assembled with us, praying that God will speak to you in a very, very special way today. I want to just remind you we have our meetings that are coming up, and there is... Um, Brother Darrell was telling me a little meeting after the church for the ladies there to kind of in preparation for that. As you know, we try to provide some sack lunches and things for the people, knowing that there's not a lot of restaurants to go, especially when we have church, because uh, we get out kind of late sometimes. And so um, rather than sending the people away hungry, well, we try to provide a little something. So they'll be talking about that. And and uh, got to Brother Ron Spencer, Brother Donnie Reagan, Brother Wayne Lawson going to come for those. Just the weekend before that, Brother David Mayer will be here from Switzerland and uh, minister to us again. And you'll be blessed by that. And so we have some wonderful things that just lay right ahead for us in the month of October. And a lot of things to look forward to. Amen. And... Uh, well, all of his goodness ain't laying in next month. We still got some in this. Amen. Amen. And even for today. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to turn to the scripture, to the very place where we are at today. Now, I want you to remember when, when we read about the church ages, when God would um, address each age, Jesus would address both the true and the false vine. So, you know, uh, in, in there where you say, well, I'm, I'm not a Laodicean. Well, that is true in the sense that we're not the lukewarm former, former powerless uh, ones that, that are, have been the Christ rejectors. But we are those ones that have received ISAB and from the seventh angel's message. And uh, we, the shame of our nakedness has been covered by the robe of his righteousness and you know um, all of the all of the things and we are ones that have been granted to sit with him on his, on his throne so we're here in this fulfillment of scripture today and we're going to look at this together as he addressed both the true and the false vine and so revelation 3:14 and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen. This is going to be the final say. God's going to put an amen 
on all the other messages down to the ages. And so this is his final voice that will come to the final age. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness. And we would see God do that time after time when, when he would put an amen to a prophet when he'd bring a message and then he would be a faithful and true witness telling exactly who they were, where they come from, everything with, uh, with, with very detailed um, insight into their lives as a word discerned the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So he's a faithful and true witness and the beginning of the creation of God. And so as we, this is of course the revelation of deity because he is the beginner of a new creation. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love. Sounds like he's going to love somebody in this age. Amen? So it's not just to the false vine that he is speaking to. As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. And then he gives an admonition, be zealous therefore and repent. This is very, very important because you must have the ability to repent. Every time that you're faced with the word, you must change your mind. No matter what you think about things, no matter what the world is saying about it, you have to change your mind uh, and, and have a complete, uh, a complete mind change, a paradigm shift, amen, to take what the Word says over what you even believe to be the truth, even what you see or hear around you that is supposed to be the truth. You take what the Word said. Now notice, I, I be zealous therefore and repent. This is my attitude every time I listen to a tape, every time I read a book, every time I read a scripture. This is my attitude. I, I'm looking at that not to change the Word, but to be changed by the Word. Now, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh. So there's going to be somebody overcome the Laodicean lukewarm spirit. Christ rejecting spirit. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. And then he tells us somebody's going to hear what the spirit said. It's not going to be, a message not going to come and it be in vain. Somebody's going to hear it. So he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. May God bless you as you're seated. Today, 
I'm going to be laying some foundation in order to get to the thought that I want to bring, but I'm going to be working toward this thought as we minister today on behold the word bride. Now, so, you know, behold the word bride. In other words, even as you said, behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We're wanting now to look and see the form that Christ is in today. Now, there's a meeting in the air, and we're not doing away without. That's what believers believe. We'll meet a physical Lord Jesus. Amen? And we will meet him in the air. That's what believers believe. Oh, no, the world won't see it. Oh, you know, they won't see the saint of dead when they come forth. They won't see this disappearing. This is something only the elect will see. We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Now, after that, we'll come back with him after the three and a half years of, of the great tribulation here upon the earth and the marriage supper in the, of the Lamb in heaven, we'll come back with him. This is Revelation 19, where that we'll return with him. And there, every eye will see him and every tongue will confess. But you see, you know, as the church world 2,000 years ago, they were looking for the wrong coming. And it blinded them as to what God was doing. So it's very important that you keep your mind and your eyes and know what God is doing in our generation. Now, this scripture that we have read defines our age well. It foretells the condition of the last day church, who is rich, has got lots of goods, but is, at the same time is lukewarm, unenthusiastic, Indifferent, cool, half-hearted, lackadaisical, unconcerned, apathetic, tepid, uninterested, impassive, dispassionate, emotionless, passionless, limp, noncommittal, unresponsive, unmoved, laid back, and couldn't care less. That's all what lukewarm means. And this is a condition of the last day church. Now, so, and it's, and it's her attitude toward the Word of God and toward the Spirit. Now, when we say Word, we're not, we want you to understand the Word is not a book. The word, the word is not something even on tape. The Word is a person. So, therefore, worship has to be in spirit and in truth. It's not just word only or, or knowledge only or uh, intellectualism, but it is in spirit as well. So that, uh, that, again, is the person. So when we're talking about a word bride, we're not talking about one that just simply is, is a walking Bible that just um, quoting quotes and, and, and knows has a bunch of knowledge. We're talking about the, the person of Jesus Christ manifested in a people. Now, now, as we look at the condition of this last day church who couldn't care less, is unmoved, laid back, noncommittal, emotionless, um, impassive, unconcerned, half-hearted, uh, you know, he cannot, let me just say it, he cannot take this church for a bride. She refuses to be washed by the water of the word. She says, I have needed nothing. 
Even her attitude toward God is, you know, I'm self-sufficient. I've got what I need. And God, I don't need you. Now, you know, so that's her assessment of herself. So, but he, his assessment of her is that she is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, she is repulsive to him. Therefore, she actually nauseates Jesus until she is spewed out of his mouth. Now, what does that mean? You know, um, there, there again, what does it mean to be the mouth of God? You know, what does it mean to be in his mouth? They, in other words, in the past, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Pentecostals, the denominations, they have spoke for him in their time. But they will no longer, this church will no longer be the voice that speaks for God because of their lukewarmness. They are spewed out of the mouth of God, meaning they are no longer the instrument that he speaks through. As Brother Branham said in the Laodicean church age and the dark ages, the word was almost entirely lost to the people. But God sent Luther with the word. And the Lutherans spoke for God at that time. And they organized. And again, the pure word was lost for organizational tends toward dogma and creeds and not simple word. And they could no longer speak for God. Then God sent Wesley. And he was the voice with the word in his day. And the people who took his revelation from God, um, became living epistles read and known of all men for their generation. And when the Methodists failed, God raised up others. And so has it gone on through the years, watch now, until this, this last day there is another people in the land who under their messenger will be the final voice to the final age. God's still going to have a voice. No matter whether the church has rejected him, no matter whether the church has failed him, no matter whether the church has been, is now repulsive to him, to their no longer his voice, God will have a voice in this end time who under their messenger will be the final voice to the final age. Now, because of the rejection of the voice of God or the word of God, that has opened up the book to us. Understand, it had to be first rejected by the denominational system in order for God to call a bride out from among them. So you see, the the denominations were judged and rejected, just like Vasta in the book of Esther. The church has had her own feast to which God is not wanted nor invited. And this is the problem that we are seeing today across the land, even in many message churches God isn't wanted, and he isn't invited. They don't want his Holy Spirit. They don't want his gifts. They don't want his miracles. They don't want anything but their little creeds and their dogmas of man and some little hierarchy, you know, some self-made pope sitting standing in the pulpit somewhere with a personality cult falling. But God says that nauseates him. They become lukewarm, formal, and cold, and powerless. This is something that we should be praying all the time. God, whatever, don't let me get in that lackadaisical, lukewarm, unconcerned condition. 
Let me be one thing on fire for God. As Brother Brandon would say, and I quote him, he said, this bride by no means will be a Laodicea. She will be on fire for God. Amen. And I'll tell you, if you don't have a fire, it's time for you to get your fire lit. You know, I was just hearing today about a revival that has been going on in Uganda, and they have been baptizing tens of thousands who are now embracing the message. And, and of course, there is signs and wonders, and even the dead has been raised among them. Great things has happened. But I, I, I just want to just say, even though we rejoice in many being baptized, that's only the first step. Amen. Oh, God, don't let them stop there. Let the, let, the, let the Ugandans and all the world say, I've been baptized and I believed on the Lord and I received his word, but I've got to receive him. I've got to have the person of the Holy Ghost in my life. That ought to be the ring and, and that is ringing out in evening light tabernacle today. I've been baptized. I've been taken on his name. I've embraced the message, but I've got to have him in my life. That personal experience, the baptism of the Holy Ghost that puts a fire on the inside of me that trials can't put out. Amen. The troubles can't put out. Amen. That, that, that the rejectors cannot put a cold blanket on. Amen. But something that causes me to have a passion for God and a passion for his word. Amen. Now, Brother Bradham would tell us in the indictment he said that Christ is God's provided lamb. Notice how appropriate it was showing that Jerusalem was ceasing. Now, we're going to be doing some comparing here in a moment ago with the last, could we call it church age, or the last church group there in Jesus' day, and then this last age that we're in. Because both of them were Christ's rejectors. Both of them are Christ rejectors. Why is that people are worried about COVID vaccine? That ain't the thing to worry about. The thing to worry about is getting that seal of God in your life. To turn down the seal of God is to take the, the mark of the beast. I'm more concerned about people being cold and formal and powerless without a passion, without a zeal. Amen. Well, well, there's no response to the word. The dead is 12 o'clock midnight. Their experience is something that happened 15, 20 years ago, and they're mossbacks. Like an old turtle there that, you know, just been in there so long until mosses growed all over him. They ain't moved in years. I'm telling you, they're in backslidden condition. That's not a rapture-ready church. Amen. A church that is going in a rapture is a people that on fire for God. They got a passion. They got a zeal to know the truth, to, to change their lives. They got a, they're zealous to repent. Now, Christ is, he said it was that, he, he talks about how appropriate it was showing now that Jerusalem was ceasing. Now, we've got a Every denomination has made their own group the Jerusalem. Here's where everybody's got to come to to worship. Every one of these little cultish movements in the message, they make their own little group the Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, he said, was ceasing. 
When it was effect, it was in effect until that hour. The blood of the lamb was, that's the woolly lamb, was all right until that day. But now at the crucifixion, it changes. The old system is done. There was a new one and the lamb was at the sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb was on the grounds. And they were condemning and doing the very things there that they had to do. That's right. And he says, God be blessed for seeing this wonderful heavenly light in this last day because the churches is doing the same thing until the hour that organization religion is condemned and proved to be sacrificing Christ's words. And from then on comes the word and the word only. Not a philosophy, not an intellectual learning, the word. Amen, the word. And the word only from that old paschal lamb passed away and that Christ become our lamb at the day of crucifixion. And the day that denominations crucified the word of God and accepted a creed instead of the word of God, that's the day the word come into full effect. And he says that's just been done recently. And of course you know that was all because of the opening of the seven seals. Now the rejection of the church was necessary for a bride to be called out from among them. Again, the rejection of Vastai, you know, was necessary for Esther to come on the scene. Now, before a kingdom, before a new kingdom can come in, the religious system of the day has to be terminated. In other words, you know, God can't deal with both of them. So, you know, before another kingdom can come in, where God is a king and he has the preeminence, then the religious systems of the day has to be terminated. The coming of the kingdom terminates the religious systems of that day. Now, remember, what is the kingdom? It is not meat and drink, right? Amen. But, but what is it? It's the Holy Ghost. That's exactly what the kingdom of God is. It is the Holy Ghost. So the coming again of the Holy Ghost, the pouring out of the Spirit in this last days to make this a wheat seed mature grain bride. Amen. It comes into to, and it terminates. It brings a termination to the religious systems of the day. Just think about it. Before a president can come in, there has to be an ending or going out of the former administration. Amen. Now, Jesus foretold the ending of, the, of, the, of that present kingdom of Israel. When he was there, he would tell them exactly your kingdom. This kingdom is coming to an end. Your system of worship is coming to an end. The whole thing, he said right now to the woman at the well, he said right now, he said, all men go to worship at Jerusalem. Amen. This is where you're to worship. But he said, the time is coming. And now is that they that worship the Father must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. So, so again, he was telling them there was even a new order of worship. And that the old worship and the old lamb and the old way of doing things and the old place of finding mercy would now be changed. The other made obsolete. 
Now, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 23, 37, he would look at Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem represents, it's there where the temple is, and it's representing now the very headquarters, or very, the, the very headquarters of that religion. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered my, thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you will not see me henceforth, till you shall see, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So here he is saying, you Israel, you know, there is a change that is happening. And you, I'm coming to your house and you'll not see me no more until, until you will, until I come with ten thousands of the saints and you will look on him to, in Revelation, was it 1 8, where that look upon him that thou hast pierced and mourn as one as mourning for his only son. So now, from on, now on comes blindness. And the darkness begins to hover over the temple of God. And Jesus is declaring, you are rejected. For you, Israel, your light has turned to darkness. The veil was rent, showing God wasn't there. Come on. There was no pillar of fire there. No Shekinah glory there. God had left the system. And there he was. The new lamb, the true lamb, hanging on a cross. The one they had rejected. Now, I wonder how many churches, including some message churches, their houses left desolate. Now, when Jesus leaves this temple, he comes, he departs from there to return no more. Let me tell you, when God leaves a place... That's serious. When God leaves a home, amen, come on now. When God leaves a marriage, some people don't want God in their marriage. Amen, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of times we have a man wanting the woman to be subjected to him, but what about him being subjected to the word? What about him be a real example of a real Christian and a real leader in the home and a real father? Come on. Amen, you know, but when God leaves a home, that house is left desolate. When God leaves a church, that church is left desolate. So that's why it's important that God never leaves us. Amen, we should everyone strive, every service, get in the spirit. Amen, preaching is no good. It, even, it, even is, it, it, it is not even preaching without the Spirit. The anointing has to be there. A lot of people think, you know, that they can, they can just get up and, and talk a little sermon and give a little thought, and that's preaching. That ain't preaching. Amen, it takes the anointing of God to preach. And that's not an intellectual. Oh, you say, well, it ain't in screaming and shouting. Well, I'll tell you what, it ain't in lectures either. Sure, I've seen men scream and shout and not a lick of anointing, but I've seen, I've seen too much of this in this day, just getting up with a formal talk, never getting the Spirit of God, never find the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. 
every minister should seek that anointing. Every church member should seek that anointing. You ought to come in every service. Lord, whatever, let me come under your anointing. Amen. But when God leaves a place or home or church or religious system, it is desolate. And there's no desolation like that desolation. Jesus says concerning, concerning the temple, your house is no longer my house. It's left desolate. I'm leaving it. Desolate means solitary, lonely, uninhabited, deserted, deprived of aid and protection. It's like a flock deserted by a shepherd, of a woman neglected by her husband or from whom the husband withholds himself. You see, this is a condition of desolation. And when that happens, she no longer brings forth children. There's no more births in the church. Oh, I'm not talking about additions, because we dedicate them at an altar. I'm not talking about additions because we baptize them in a pool. I'm talking about births. Where there's a dying out to sin. And, and men and women are born again by the Spirit of God and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. So you see, you know, with the church, he withdraws himself from her. She'll never no longer bear a seed of his. She'll never no more have a child born in her, in her movement that is sired by him. He no longer will be her husband. He no longer will be her caregiver. What happens to a church when God says, your, your lukewarmness nauseates me? This church is no longer my church. God puts her away. You see, Israel was the woman that God had entered into covenant with. This happened on Mount Sinai when he gave the law. And God entered into covenant with them. He would, he would address her with, through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea as his wife. And then he would tell, she's going to whore him. She's become a prostitute. And then, of course, you see, you say, Brother Tim, but that, that's a, that was Israel back there. But that's the problem with the last day people. They all call themselves Christians. But according to the Bible, they are, they are prostitutes and harlots. The great whore. And her daughters. And there's a reason they're called that. Because they rejected his headship. They don't want his children. And that's what Brother Branham told us that in the invisible union, he said, there's some people coming together with an invisible union and God is uniting. And there's a marriage that is going on. But there are others that have rejected him. They don't want his children. They don't want Acts 38 blabbering, screaming, yelling, and youngins. They don't want none of them. But he said, that's the only kind the word can bring forth. Now, in marriage and divorce, Brother Branham gets pretty plain. And, he, you know, he's talking about marriage and relationships and so on. And he says, now he can put her away, but she cannot put him away. He did it and proved it in the days when Luther, Wesley, Pentecost, when they have refused to become a further part of him by having a spiritual sexual affair to become pregnant with further part of the word. You understand? She refused. 
the Lutheran church refused for Christ to have any more desire with her. Luther refused it. And you're, let me say this. You're going to call me something anyhow. So it is today with every one of them. They fail to take that word. They refuse Christ. And any woman that refuses a man his child has no right to be a wife to him. Amen. Remember in the Bible when, when the king married Esther because the queen refused, he just got him another one. What happened when she refused to come out with the king and obey him? The same thing it is with a woman that refuses to be a wife to her husband. Now, this is very important. I, I don't want you to go sideways on this because there's a lot of problems in marriages today. And, and, and you say, well, Brother Tim, that just fit our situation. But let me tell you something. I just wonder, have you been treating that woman like a queen? Have you really been a prince in your home? Is there really some godly leadership? Is the love that, that you owe being given? I could, I, I could say a lot of things right here, but it's a mixed crowd. But I just want you to understand, this ain't a one-way street. You see, now again, but the church, let's get our thoughts back on the church. This is the church. She has, she has refused him and refuse his child. She don't want him. She don't want his birth. She don't want his spirit. She don't want his worship. Come on. This is the condition of the last day church. Now, I'm trying to get this to you because there is a reason that God put them away and has called you. Understand, there is a reason God's done what he's done in this day. Amen. Because there, the church has become a Christ rejecter. Amen. Crucify him again. Put, his, put him to an open shame. Rejected his word. Rejects his headship. Rejects his leadership. Come on. Amen. Don't want it. Don't want his spirit in their midst. Refuses his word. Now, Look here at Israel now and Jerusalem. Now, it's 70 years, 70 years before Jerusalem is actually destroyed. But God is already saying, you're finished. Now, you went there the next day, there's no more change. There's no changes. They're still bringing sacrifices. They're still offering animals. They're still, you know, do all the rituals, everything else. It looks like everything's going on just like normal. And you're saying to me, Brother Tim, you're, you're, you're declaring that God is rejected in the nominational system and they keep on and they're growing and they got more members and they're getting bigger and they got more money and they got more programs and, and all of this. When God said it's finished, it's over. And it's 70 years before it's destroyed, but God has already declared judgment on them. And the church went on with their ceremonies and went to the same altar and offered the same sacrifice. But at the day of crucifixion from then on, their offerings was no longer accepted. The same offerings Abraham gave. The same offerings that Isaac offered. The same offerings that Samuel would offer. 
The same offerings that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, priests, right down through the ages, would all offer now. And let me tell you, it brought salvation to that time. It brought a blood cleansing. But all of a sudden, it changes. And now, you can offer the same thing your granddaddy offered. Go to the same altar your granddaddy went to. My mother went to this church, and my grandpa, and my great-grandpa, and you can go to the same place and find no mercy. Find nothing to save you from the judgment coming. Now, so you see Matthew 24, verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Now, he would depart from this temple never to return again. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's speaking judgment. Now, why would the Jewish church and its temple have such an indictment and such a judgment? Because Christ was spurned. The Messiah sent the word made flesh rejected. Amen. Now, no longer would they represent him. There would never be another prophet that would rise up out of their movement, their system. There would never be, they would no longer be God's voice. Although there was a long list of saints, sages, prophets that had come from her. Abraham, great prophets, David, a prophet king. You know, on and on and on. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and, and Ezekiel and oh my, prophet after prophet, word after word. But now there would no more ever be another prophet come from them. No longer would the voice of God ever speak through them. They would no longer be God's representation. Amen. Because of the rejection of Christ, they too would become rejected. Now, I want you to look with me to... In Psalms 69:20, let's get a picture of the rejected Christ. I hope I don't background too much that I don't get into what I want to speak about. But Psalms 69:20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. I look for some to take pity, but there is none for comforters, and I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, that, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. In other words, the table that they ate from, let the very things that they fed upon become a snare to them. You know, again, you know, that which should have been for their welfare. If I understand right there when the Romans did come in and destroy Jerusalem, they gathered all of the people into the temple and, and everybody, you know, surely God's going to save us. Their little ones, their children, all of them. They, they gathered them all in there. But I want you to know a word had came before that 
that had told them that Jerusalem would be surrounded and they would lay trenches around her. And when you see them start coming down, you flee from here. Let him that's on the housetop not go back and get anything. In other words, run. Get out of there. Flee. I want you to understand that's been the voice that God used in this day. Run away. Get out. Get out of those systems. Get out of that lukewarmness. Get out of that, that rebellion against God. Get out of that move that won't let God move. Get out. Because we see him surrounding. We see the enemy surrounding and about to pull the church into the tribulation. And the Bible talks about the tribulation of those days. He said, never again would there be tribulation like upon one group of people like it was there. And those Jews went into not just a few days of tribulation. They have been under persecution and tribulation now for 2,000 years. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah. And what will happen to the Gentiles because of rejecting the word for their day? They will go to the tribulation. Amen. But right now, there's still, still an opportunity amen, to flee from there. Amen. Don't, don't let their shirt hit your back. Get out. Move. Run. Get into the word. Flee into Christ. You know, people fled from California. It wasn't California to run from. It was get into Christ. What difference does it make if you go down in the, in the, in the, you know, in the, the waves of the sea or whatever else if your soul is right with God? But let your table, let, let the very things that they've been eating from, let the very words that they've been taking for themselves condemn them. Let the very Bible that they hold to be true judge them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it be a trap. Let their eyes be darkened. If that's not prophesied again of the last day, what is? Let their eyes be darkened that they see not. Let their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them. Let thy wrathful anger take a hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate. And let none dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom thou hast smitten, and they talk to grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. My goodness, this is what happens to the Christ rejecters. This is what would happen to the Pharisees, Sadducees, the men of that day that were pious and religious and Caiaphas, who could even sometimes, you know, prophesy and so on like that. Let it now become desolate. Let God no longer dwell in their tents. Let the Spirit never move in there again. Now you talk about rejection. Now Brother Bradham talks the same thing and, and he tells us and know it not. And he, he looks there and he sees the condition of the church world and the condition they are. And he says, the higher that you rise in God, the more sinful everything looks. 
You, you know, there again, it depends on where you're at. If you're, if you're on level with them, you don't see the sin. But you start moving higher in God, you begin to see the things that are wrong. Amen. The higher you rise in God, the more sinful everything gets. And he said sometimes in prayer, you can imagine when the Holy Spirit takes you into a sphere, then the whole thing looks chaos. And then you come back and the people think you're a rascal or, 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 or sarcastic or you're a fool. You stand out as a crank, always rebuking the people. But if you ever climb into those spheres one time, when you can be in the presence of God, not through emotion, but through genuine Holy Spirit lifting up, the whole thing is wrote, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed from the whole denominational outfit. Now, this is what a prophet would look. And he says, I've been lifted up in the place, and here in this place, and the higher I get, the more sinful that thing looks. The more evil it becomes. And he says, until I can pronounce, it's Ichabod. And when the glory of the Lord has departed from the whole denominational outfit. Remember in the days of Eli, remember what it was? And when the priests had become, his sons had become um, unlawful and doing evil things and molesting the women at the courts and, and, and stealing from the sacrifices and taking what was not theirs and, and cheating and everything else. And, and there was all kinds of sin in the ministry. Amen. And then, and then the judgment came by the word of the prophet. And remember, a baby is born during that time, and that baby is born. What happens? The ark of the Lord is taken. Amen. The word is gone. It's taken out from their midst. It's captured. It's taken down into Philistine. In the Philistine, and here the word is taken. The word is departed. Now the priest, uh, the old priest, dies, and as it does, uh, a baby is born, and the child, the offspring of all of that heartache, of all that trouble, was Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord has departed. Now, this thing repeats again in this last day. Now, Ezekiel foretold the destruction of the temple and the rejection of Israel. I'd like you to go with me to Ezekiel 9, verse 1. Now, Brother Branham would parallel this scripture for our day as well. But this actually, you know, it physically becomes fulfilled in the, um, in the destruction of Jerusalem. Ezekiel 9 and 1, And he cried within my ear with a loud voice, saying, Cause him to have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came by the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen and with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood by the brazen altar. Now, Brother Bradham describes this as the Holy Ghost. He's the one that's marking and the glory of the, the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. Now, wait a minute. Let's get the picture. The Shekinah glory leaves, leaves, the, leaves the cherubims where the Ark of the Covenant is. Come on. That is supposed to be hovering over the, 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 cherub, the Ark of the Covenant, which contains the Word. And it, it leaves. Look where that. And he goes to the threshold. 
So he is leaving the church. And he called to the man with the clothed with linen which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go to the midst of the city, to the midst of Jerusalem. Set a mark upon the foreheads of them. The men that signed cried for all the abomination that's done in the midst of thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eye spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly young Old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom the mark and begin where? At my sanctuary. Because judgment begins at the house of God. Amen. And then they begin to at the ancient men which were before the house, and he said, Defile the heart, the house, and Fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew the, in the city. Now, here God says, defile, defile the house. Defile the temple. Now, why does he do this? Because in the, in the chapter before, in chapter 8, they have set up all kinds of idol worship in the house of God, having rejected Jehovah. And God said, I'm leaving because I'm not sharing my love with another. Amen. I'm going to have a bride. She'll be without spot or wrinkle. I'm not sharing my love with another, my, my wife with another man. I'm not putting up with that. Come on. And he leaves, and as he leaves, he says, defile the house. You've defiled it. You've defiled it with your false doctrines, your creeds, your dogmas, all, all the things against the Spirit. Now I'm going to defile it. And he would say, not one stone will be left on another. Now, and it came to pass while they were slaying, I was left and I fell upon my face and cried and I said, oh, Lord God, will thou destroy all the residue of Israel in that pouring out of that fury? And he said unto me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great. The land is full of blood, the city full of perverseness. For they say the Lord has forsaken the earth. And the Lord seeth not. They're saying he's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as for me, also my eyes shall not spare. Neither will I have pity. But I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matters that I have done as thou hast commanded me. So God spoke judgment. And because of the sin that had entered the house of God, then judgment had to begin at the temple, and the glory of the Lord had to leave, the Shekinah glory. The pillar of fire left the cherub and moved to the door, leaving the church, Israel, exactly like Revelation 3. I spew you out of my mouth. You've rejected me. You've turned my word down. You don't want my spirit. Now I'm rejecting you. You see what a serious thing it is to reject the move of the Spirit of God? Now let me back up just for a moment. We've had things that God has spoke about in this day. There's a man... Um, uh, and, I, and I told this some years ago, but 
There's a man by the name of Clayton Sunmore. He wrote a book called Show the House to the House. And in there, he told of a personal testimony of spending time. He said three hours with Brother Branham while he was in Jamaica in February of 1958. And Brother Branham would speak to him concerning the world, uh, political and, and spiritual events, including what part certain individuals and organizations would, would play. And Sonmore had this to say. He said, to my knowledge, every insight Brother Branham related that day has been fulfilled exactly as prophesied. Even to the very year, the Holy Spirit showed him that such events would take place. Mr. Sonmore further stated or related that the hour of darkness descending in or beyond 1977 was so black that Brother Branham could see no further. And it was a point that he maintained to his, to his death. Now, if the man is right in what he says, then we are now 44 years advanced into the hour of darkness. So it's getting so dark that Brother Branham said, it come where we couldn't see our hand in front of our face. We're here. We're talking about how many people are going home. We're talking about COVID, economies, world, everything crumbling. Are you with me? We are now 44 years advanced into the hour of darkness. Now, I want to stop for a minute and talk about 1977. Because, you know, it's a place that everybody goes to in order to dismiss Brother Branham as being a prophet. They love to say, they just love to say he failed uh, prophecy concerning 1977. Well, I'll just tell you this. If that was his only failure, well, then I'll just say this to him. He was more accurate than any of them. I'll just put him up besides their prophets. And, you know, let me just say, actually, you know, if a person is fair and wants to judge everything the same, then Billy Graham is also a false prophet because he predicted the Lord would come in 1959. I got that in my library in this book that they wrote. Said he's learned after that not to make such predictions. But we know of the seven major visions that Brother Branham had in 1933. And I want to just speak about the moment to just show you where we're at. And he would talk about the Laodicean age began around the turn of the century. Perhaps 1906. He said, how long will it last? As a servant of God who's had multitudes of visions with which none has failed. Let me predict. I did not say prophesy, but predict that this age will end around 1977. And he said, if you pardon a personal note here, I base this prediction on seven major continuous visions that came to me one Sunday morning in June 1933. And the Lord Jesus spoke to me and said that the coming of the Lord was drawing nigh. But before that, he came. Seven major events would t- transpire. I wrote them all down. And that morning, I gave 
forth the revelation of the Lord. The first was Mussolini, Mussolini would invade Ethiopia and that nation would fall as it steps. That vision surely did cause some repercussions and some were very angry when I said it, would not believe it, but it happened that way. He just walked in there with his modern arms and took it over and the natives didn't have a chance. But the vision all said Mussolini would come to a horrible end with his own people turning on him and that came to pass just exactly as it said. The next vision foretold an Austrian by the name of Adolf Hitler who would rise up as dictator over Germany and he would draw the world into war. And it showed the Siegfried line how the troops would have a terrible time to overcome it. It showed that Hitler would come to a mysterious end. The third vision was in the realm of world politics. Showed me there would be three great isms, Fascism and Nazism, Communism. But the two would be swallowed up in the third. And the voice admonished, watch Russia, watch Russia. Keep your eyes on the king of the north. The fourth vision would show great advances in science that would come forth after the Second World War. It was headed up in the vision of a plastic bubble-top car that was running down beautiful highways under remote control so people were seated in this car without a steering wheel and they were playing some type of game to amuse themselves. We're here. And the fifth vision had to do with the moral problem of our age. Centering mostly around women. God showed me that women began to be out of their place with the granting of the vote. This ain't popular today. Then they began to cut off their hair, which signified they were no longer under the authority of a man, but insisted on either equal rights or, in most cases, more than equal rights. She adopted men's clothing, went to a state of undress. And the last picture I saw was a woman naked except for a little leaf-type apron. And with this vision, I saw the terrible perversion and moral plight of the whole world, which all includes even the homosexual sodomite movement. Because if you don't believe that sodomite, the women were the first cross-dressers. Then in the sixth vision, there arose up in America a most beautiful but cruel woman. She held in her, the people in her complete power. I believe this was the rise of the Roman Catholic Church, though I knew it could possibly be a vision of some woman rising in great power in America due a popular vote by women. And he says, again, the 70th week, he said, I predicted, I said, I saw a great woman stand up, beautiful looking dressed in high royals like purple. She is a great ruler in the United States. And I said, perhaps the Catholic Church. I don't know her to be the Catholic Church. I don't know. I can't say only thing I've seen. I've seen the woman. That was all. And then again, from that time, he said, remember, he said, thus saith the Lord, there will be a woman rule before the end time. She'll either be president or vice president or be the Catholic Church as a woman. I've seen her, a great woman. The nations bowed to her. It'll be one before the end time. Thus saith the Lord, write it down and find out, you young people. See if it happens. If it isn't, then I'm a false prophet. And we're here. Right down to the color of dress the woman wore. And then the seventh and last vision was I heard a most terrible explosion and I turned to look and I saw nothing but debris and craters and smoke all over the land of America. 
And then he would say, based on these seven visions, along with the rapid changes which I swept, which have swept the world in the last 50 years, I predict, I do not prophesy that these visions will have come to pass by 1977. Now, we know there's definitely some of them didn't make it. But predict can mean prophesy or divine. But Brother Branham was clear, this is not a prophecy. The definition of the word predict is not always prophesy or divine, though. Predict can mean speculate, envision, envisage, imagine, picture, estimate, conjecture, guess, or hazard a guess. So since he said it's not prophecy, he's saying, I'm hazarding a guess. You know, I'm estimating. I'm imagining, you know, this is, I'm speculating on this. Now, in 70 weeks of Daniel, he was clear. He said, now, I don't want anyone to go away misunderstanding this. Tape's still playing. I don't want anyone to misunderstand this. Don't under, misunderstand now and say, Brother Branham said Jesus would come in 1977. I never said no such a thing. Jesus may come today, but I predicted that between 33 and 77, something would take place that these things that I've seen come to pass in the vision would take place. And five of them has already taken place. Again, in the Laodicean church age, as he preached it, remember the church age book is a paraphrase and, and a grammarization of what he said. So he said, we believe the church age started in AD 1906. Now, I predict, now remember predict, especially you listen to the tape. I don't say it will be. But I predict that it will end by 1977, that the church will go into, into completely into apostasy. Bear that in mind. The church will go completely into apostasy. Now, and he says, and she will be ousted out of the mouth of God. And the second coming of the rapture of the church of Christ might come any time. Now, I could miss that a year. I can miss that 20 years. I could miss it 100 years. I don't know where, but I just predict according to the vision. He showed me taking the time, the way it's progressing, and I say it'll be somewhere between 33 and 77. This great nation is going to strike a war that's going to blow us to peace. At least this great nation is going to strike a war that are going to blow it to bits. Now, it's pretty close. It's awful close, and I could be wrong. I'm predicting everybody understands. Say amen if you do. Amen. Now, this, again, I'm going to read this from the exposition of the seven church ages. As you know, as I said, was a paraphrasing of what he said on tape. Brother Lee Vale took the things he taught and made grammatical changes. And he says it in here. Based on these seven visions, along with rapid changes, which has swept the world, that I predict, I do not prophesy these visions will have all come to pass by 1977. And though many feel this is irresponsible statement in view of the fact that Jesus said, no man knoweth the day or the hour, I still maintain this prediction after 30 years because Jesus did not say no man could not know the year, the month, or the week in which his coming was to be completed. So I repeat I sincerely believe and maintain as a private student of the Word along with divine inspiration 
That's 1977 ought, and that word ought means a probability but not a certainty. To terminate the world systems and usher in the millennium. Now listen, let's get some understanding. First of all, he said, as I, I, I sincerely believe and maintain as a private student of the word along with divine inspiration. Now, you know, years ago we stopped right there and said, see, that was prophecy. See, he had divine inspiration to say that. No, the divine inspiration was the seven visions. So he's saying, uh, as a private student of the word, along with having seen seven visions of the end time, that 77 ought, or is a probability but not a certainty, terminate the world's systems and usher in the millennium. Now, so now let's notice here some things. Now, of course, we have seen where he says, I don't say it will be, I am not prophesying, this is a prediction. This is, uh, I'm hazarding a guess. Amen. I, but I could miss it a year or 20 years. I could miss it 100 years. I don't know where. And I could be wrong. I'm predicting. Which again, he said, is not prophecy. So I'm not using the word predict as a prophecy. I'm using it as, uh, I'm not divining here. I'm not prophesying. I'm not saying God said this. I am saying I'm hazarding a guess. In other words, the sun lord would say it. It got so dark, he couldn't see beyond that. That we would advance into the hour of darkness until a prophet couldn't even see beyond that. But he told us that there were going to be things that would happen and that the church would go completely into apostasy and be ousted out of the mouth of God. Now, I want you to get your thoughts on this. He said it would terminate world systems. Now, you learn to keep things in context. So when you got to Seven Churches book, and Brother Branham uses the phrase, terminate world systems, well, then what does that mean? I mean, you know, we still got the United States government. We still got the Russian government. We still got China. We still got, you know, the Catholic Church. We got all kinds of things that are still going on. Right? But what is a world system? Now, he, so keep it in context with his thoughts. In the Sardisian church age, he said, now, they had what the world could not have. Jesus said when he went away, he would send a spirit which the world could not receive. That's right. The world or world system could not receive him. That's what organization is. It is a world system. And you show me a world church system that is full of the Holy Ghost. I want to see it. If you can show me such a church, you'll find a mistake in the word. No, sir, not one of these messengers were organized. Either they were put out or got out because they were convicted of the sin of organization. How can the Holy Spirit possibly be in an organization when it is the organization that takes the place of the Spirit and denominations take the place of the word? Remember, organization is death. It just can't be any other way. If the world takes over, the spirit departs. 
So now what happened? Amen. What happened? God brought an end terminating world systems. He left the systems of religion. Come on now. And he vindicated a word. He opened the book and loosed the seals. Come on now. Are you with me now? Amen. And when doing so, he absolutely terminates the world systems of religion. Every one of them. And they're no longer his voice. They no longer speak for him. And so he calls out a bride who will be his voice. Amen. And she will be one with the word because she is a word-born bride. Now, world systems were indicted and terminated 14 years before 1977. I sit out of the mouth of God. Because in the year 1963, when the book was, that was shown as sealed, with seven sealed mystery, was unsealed. And the word was revealed. God terminated and brought to an end every organizational spirit. Now, the opening of the book terminated and made obsolete every teaching of man and every doctrine of man, and God put away the Horish church. Now, I'm just going to say to you, stack up all the books. Stack them all up. If you ever go in the Bible bookstore, just look at the hundreds commentaries, books, writings on this, writing on that, writing on predestination, writing on eternal security, writing on baptism. You take all of the doctrinal theses, Bible commentaries, books on Christ's coming, books on the tribulation, books on being left behind, books on the apocalypse, books on all of that, and they were rendered obsolete. Because I'll tell you this, all of them were hazarding the guess. But when God spoke, opening up the seven seals, it was no longer a guess. It was not a man. Come on now. It did not come from the thinking of man. It came from God. Out of heaven. Out of heaven came seven mighty angels. Hallelujah. Representing the seven church angels were finished or completed. That we had reached the end. And that brings about the changing of a dispensation. And this happens in this last day. Now, if you think I'm preaching something new, I'm not. I started, I preached uh, preach these sermons back in 1999 and 2000. Long, long before that. But this, this, this is something that we believe in. I'm just refreshing you. As to where we're at in this hour of darkness. I'm trying to show you again and reemphasize to you who, where is the voice of God today? Where is God? Where is God at? Show us the Father. That's what I was preaching last Sunday. Show us the Father. Where is He at? 
And they were looking at him and didn't know. When you see me, you've seen the Father. And the day the people are looking for Jesus and he's here. But where is he? Are you with me? He's not coming walking down the aisle with nail scars. He's in a people. You see, that's what he said. Show us the Father. The last days is God in his people. Behold the word bride. That is his body. That's who he's speaking through. That's who he's revealing. That's who he's working through. That's who's doing the miracles. Amen. It's your hands laid on the sick and they shall recover. It's your voice taking the word and speaking it against your enemy. It is you. It brings about the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now, where everything is brought to its fullness, where partial word gives, gives way to the fullness of the word, in, the, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will. This is what God has done one more time. He's brought Paul's gospel and restored it, making known to you the mystery of his will. According to good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, notice this, the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So everything is going to be gathered into him. There's going to be a uniting of all that he is. Every promise that he is, every word he is, all of his people into him. Now he can't gather the church because she don't need him. She don't want him. But he swore, I'll have a church washed and cleansed by the word. And Paul declares he will gather into one things that are in heaven and things on the earth and would gather them all into himself. So we are in the hour of the harvest season of the gathering where he'll even gather the saints going on with the saints that are living and bring them all together in him to catch them up together to him. This is rapture hour. In this hour of darkness. Now, so you see, again, with regard to the fullness of time, you know, that's the end of history. It's the climaxes of the ages. Is that right? To bring all things together in Christ, both things that are in heaven and things on the earth. So, so again, you know, this is what he's doing is we are here in the climax of the ages. Now, Brother Branham would use the pyramid to, 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 to describe or to type three different things. He would type the church or individuals. Let me start with the individual. He would type us as being believing by faith, accepting the Lord. Adding to faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge. Becoming the tabernacle, living God's dwelling place. With the Holy Ghost uniting you and God together, sealing you together as one. So, you know, the capstone of the believer is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's the token. Without it, you're not complete. You might have started believing on the Lord, but you are an incomplete until you get the Holy Ghost. It's the seal of God. It's the capstone. 
Now then, number two, he would do what? He would finish the mysteries. How many is with me now? So we've had mysteries that have started being restored down to the ages. And Luther got justification. Wesley saying, I'm just hitting some of the high points. And we come right up, up to the top. And it gets capped off with seven thunders. Which were the revelation of, that were contained in the seven seals. Come on now. So the final mystery opens the book or completes all the mysteries of God. So God will use the prophet to cap off all the mysteries. Once he comes, there are no more mysteries. That's why I don't like mystery preachers. Because when you get through, it's still a mystery. Amen. But brother, we're not preaching mysteries anymore. We're preaching revelation. We're preaching revealed truth. Are you with me now? Amen. Now, this is, this is important to understand. It's capped off. The seven seals would open up and bring to light every, every truth of the Bible concerning the bride. Are you with me? Now, then, of course, there is the third one, which types out what God will do. He's come through seven ages. Amen. Comes down. We're the last age. And we're the lad, we're the age that meets the capstone. And the capstone is the physical return of Christ. So again, when we say capstone, what are we talking about? Amen. It can mean the physical return of Christ, the uniting of the bride and the groom. Amen. And all seven ages being raised up to meet him in the air. That's the capstone we're looking for. That's the one that hadn't come. Amen. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. We're going to meet him in the air. But we have been capped by the Holy Ghost. We are a sealed unit. We're part of the promise. Every one of you fit right in the pyramid. Fit right there in the promise of God. Amen. A rapture-ready church going to meet him in the air. Amen. Waiting for the coming of the Lord. And remember, the dynamics of this church will be a refilling of the Holy Ghost, which is what we have worked in a small measure as the, as the body come up from through the capstone. But when he comes, he will seal her off until even the dead in Christ for thousands of years will rise up. And we're living in the hour. Oh, my the Holy Ghost has come. You can receive the capstone for your life. Amen. The thunders of mysteries have been revealed. Amen. There's no more mystery. It's capped off. It's a finish. There's one more capstone we're waiting on, and that's for Jesus to come back. <laughs> Hallelujah. And when he comes, we will fit him exactly as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh and life of his life and power of his power. Do you know we are living in the hour where time is no more? What in the world do you mean by that? Let's go to Revelation 10, verse 1. This is another scripture for our day. We're standing right here is where we're at. In the fulfillment of this scripture. This is our day. And I saw another mighty angel. This is in comparison to Revelation 9, 
where Abaddon, Apollyon, there raises up all, world, all the world is worshiping and in idolatry. And it's shown there, and we look away from there and said, Now, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. He's clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. His face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. All of this is symbology. And he has in his hand a little book open. What was sealed in Revelation 5 is now open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. So where the two beast powers come from the sea and the earth, he sets his feet upon them. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. So he shouts. So as he descends, he does three things. First Thessalonians 4. Shout, voice, trumpet. And when he cried or he shouts with a loud voice, and it's like when a lion roared because it's the king speaking. And when he cried in this shout, seven thunders uttered their voices. So when this message comes, mysteries are revealed. Now, a thunder is when God says something, but it isn't time for it to be made known. So you don't want it known yet. We're not in the days of the thunder. We're in the days of the voice. Where it becomes a known truth. Now watch. And the seven thunders, watch, had uttered their voices. And I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up. It's not time, John. You can't write it. Seal up the things which seven thunders uttered. Write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea, upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven. Oh, my. He's making a sworn affidavit. He is absolutely making a vow. And he swore by himself. Because he's the one that liveth forever and ever. Who created heaven, the things that there are in, the sea and so on. That there should be time no longer. We are in that hour. Time is no more. Amen. But watch now. The days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished as he had declared to his servants and prophets. So now what happens? The time, you say, Brother Tim, time. Time's no more. What do you got a calendar for? How come you still got a watch on? And how come there's still time in the millennium? And yet time is no more. What does this mean? It means the time to keep the silence. The time to keep this a mystery. Keep it in contact. The the time to keep this quiet is over with. And you're in the hour for the time for mysteries is over with. Amen. The silence has been broken. Amen. By what? God sending a prophet. It wasn't me that opened the seals. It even wasn't Brother Branham that opened the seals. It was Christ that opened the seals. But it was open to a prophet. The word came to a prophet. Amen. That's why the first phase of the rapture is a shout. It is a prophet bringing a message. It's a message to awaken the people. Amen. It's to awaken you to your rights. 
It's awaken your understanding. It's awaken to you to who you are. To where you are in this hour. Are you with me? Now, so Revelation 10 declares the system of man is over with. The men have had their ideas, they've had their doctrines for thousands of years, but now Christ comes down with an open book, for God is his own interpreter. Are you with me? Christ, the Son of Man, the Word comes down with the open book. He got his left feet on the land and the sea, and he declares, uh, when, when swears with an oath, that time shall be no more. In the days of the voice of the, of the seventh angel, when he sounds his message, the mystery of God will be finished. The time for it to remain mystery is over with. Hallelujah. Do you know you're in the hour where Christ is not withholding anything from you, but he is revealing his entire deity to the people of the last age? Do you know he couldn't reveal his mind to some lady that was, or some little girl that was, you're going to be a bride? A six, seven-year-old girl? He had to wait until we come to the mature age. Now, so now Christ puts his foot on the land of the sea, swears with an oath, time shall be no more. Or another, other translation said there'll be no more delay. In other words, the delaying of this mystery is over. I've delayed it. I've held it back. The other ages didn't know it, but you know it. It's been revealed to you. Like I said, don't throw away your clocks. We're still in time. We will be until the millennium. But I want you to hear him from the breach. He said, we'll see later is the end time when time has run out. No denomination has a right for the interpretation of the book. No man has a right to interpret it. It is the lamb who interprets it. What Brother Brandon said himself, I would have made a horrible mistake. I had some ideas and some notes and I was going to walk out and I said, well, this is the best I can do to the best of my knowledge. This is what others have said and I'll tell you, this is what I, I know. And about that time, he came in the room. And here it came, contrary to my own thinking. Because no man has a right to interpret it, not even Brother Branham. It is the Lamb who interprets it. And the Lamb is the one who speaks it. And the Lamb makes the word to be made known, to be known by the vindicating and bringing the word of life. Notice again, he continues, notice it's not revealed until this book is not revealed until the church ages and denominational ages has run out and there's time no more. It's only revealed after church ages and denominational ages has run out. That's the reason they, the things in such a scruple tonight, they pick up a little doctrine, they run over this side and say, this is it. And another picks up another doctrine, runs over this side and said, this is it. And each one builds a denomination under it until we got hundreds of denominations. But still in all of it to see confusion, the people are wondering, what is truth? And that ain't the condition today. Notice what he said. Notice what he says. He said, the book is not revealed until denominational ages has run out. When he terminates it, then he reveals it. Now, 
Again, this is the age that we're living in. This is the day where God is called a halt, a halt to men's idea. This is the day when God is his own interpreter. We've had a, a Luther that interpreted the word, and some of it he got correct. We had John Smith interpret the word for the Anabaptists, and he, some of it he got correct. A lot of it he's wrong on. Amen. But, you, but again, we are coming the day where there's no more guessing. Amen. The same one that never guessed. Telling names, addresses, diseases, what the doctor looked like. Everything else told the future, told the past. Could go back 40 years. What was he showing? He could go back into the mind of God and even tell you things your great-grandfather did. Come on. Amen. What was it? If God could do that, then God could go all the way back to where things were sealed up and open it up all the way down to the end, revealing the entire program of God to a people in the last day. Now, notice this is the day that God calls to halt men's ideas. Your house is left desolate. Seventy years goes by. But when God said, it's finished, it's finished. I don't accept your worship. It's over with. There is nothing left there to rapture them. Many of them go into the tribulation period, and I believe some of them uh, perhaps will be saved during the tribulation. Those that are really sincere in their hearts will be not saved in the tribulation, but because they have had a profession of faith, they'll wash the robes in the blood of the Lamb, and by their works they'll be judged, be given life. Amen. That's God's mercy. He's more merciful than you ever thought. Not only was he merciful to call you out to take you in a rapture, but he was also merciful to those who were blinded some way by false prophets, misunderstood, and they wind up in their tribulation, and he still gives some of them life. Multitude without number. He's a God that even when the Jews reject him, he gives them another chance. And here the Benjamin group comes in on the last day, and 144,000 is sealed. God is a God rich in mercy. When the Lamb took the book, the mighty angel came down and made this declaration. World systems were terminated. Church systems were terminated. It was the beginning of the end, and God was calling out a bride who would be a word bride. Now, it's the hour of the seventh seal, because the seventh seal is his coming. But, this, but it's not a singular event. I'm trying to get something, I'm trying to, so your heart won't be troubled. You're looking and say, well, when, when's, when's Jesus going to come in? When's there going to be an end to all of this trouble? And when, I'm telling you, we're in the end. I'm telling you, things are winding up. I'm telling you, prophecies are being fulfilled. I'm telling you, don't let your heart be troubled. He's at work. He hasn't abandoned the project. He didn't come and say, I'm sending a forerunner and I'm sending, a, I'm sending him with a, with a message and then forget it all. Go back in the heavens and close the doors and say, well, I give up. No, no. Even though the church rejects him, I'll have some overcomers. 
Even though the church don't want him, I'll have somebody who'll wash their eyes with eyesight. Amen. The, 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 the word of God, I'll wash their eyes with. They're going to see in a time of darkness when everybody else is blind. They're going to see what God's doing. A little while the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. I'll be with you even in you to the end of the world. Others won't see it, but I, you'll see me. I'm going to be wide right in your midst. I'm going to be healing your sick. Amen. I'm going to be casting out devils. Hallelujah. I'm going to be speaking with new tongues. I'm going to be working there among the believers. I'm going to be in you unto the end of the world. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will be the one working in you. I'll be the one living in you. I'll be one manifesting myself. I have come down. Hallelujah. I have come down to deliver you. Amen. And I've got a message saying, let my people go. Sin can't hold them. Unbelief can't hold them. Doctors can't hold them. No, no, nothing of the world can hold them. Let my people go. Hallelujah. We got a message to the devil today that we are under the anointing of a mighty angel and there ain't enough devils in hell that can stop this bride. She's not going back. She's not turning around. She's progressing. She's moving forward. She's not backsliding. She's not getting lukewarm. She's not getting cold and formal. She's not gonna. She's not gonna go down into the cycle of death. She will defeat death itself because she's been called and ordained and predestinated for the day and hour that we're living in. I say hallelujah. Amen. The world systems are terminated, but God hasn't terminated you. He said, I'm taking you in a rapture. I'm not going to leave you behind. Not a hoof is going to leave Be left behind. I'm taking your loved ones. I'm taking your children. I'm taking your wife. I'm taking your husband. I'm taking your grandchildren. I'm taking all. And we're all going. We're not going to be left behind. We are going. We're on our way to the promised land, and there's nothing the devil can do to stop it. Hallelujah. He can't stop divine healing. He can't stop the power of God. He can't stop true worship. He can't stop the joy of the Lord. He can't stop the power of his Christ. He can't stop it. He ain't got enough. The devil don't have enough. But the God you serve has put enough. More than enough. He's El Shadia. He's more than enough. He's the provider. He's the savior. He's everything you have and you need everything Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're here at the end of all things. Everything is winding up. Seventh seal opens and it breaks the silence. Don't start silence. It finishes the silence. And when it does, it starts unfolding the end time. You look around. What you look and see is the end time unfolding. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many theophanies. Yours is coming back for you. Others have left to go to it. They'll bring their bodies back here or their theophany here to meet their bodies. But we'll be changed. The voice of the resurrection. There is a people of God who's speaking for him. 
Let him move in your life. Look, don't speak for the world. Don't speak for sin. Don't speak for fornication and adultery and filthiness of the flesh and pornography. Don't speak for that. Speak his word. Speak his promise. Let it be manifested in your life. Father, today, commit this service in your hands. Speak to hearts, Lord. Then, Lord, let it so anoint us till we speak. The people begin to speak to their mountain. Their mountain's got to hear their voice. It's the third pull. It's the third phase. It's the opening of the word. It's where it becomes manifested. Do it, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
noche. 